We all know baseball is a long season. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. This summer, take a trip down memory lane with me and hear from the legends of the game. So far this year, I've had conversations with Randy Johnson, Pete Rose, Deion Sanders. Plus, every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of facts, clearly optional, we just got this text. You two overly liberal hosts keep trying to shine that turd Joe up. LOL, Tom and Red Wing. Tom, we spent the first half hour of the show talking about how Joe Biden shouldn't be running for reelection because mm. of the serious uh, concerns about his cognitive ability. So thank you for just firing off a text with having no concept of what we've been talking mm-hmm. about. But that's America. That's why we love it. Uh, Our next guest, we love having him on because I think he represents a point of view that a lot of our listeners have. He is Scott Klug, a former Wisconsin congressman who now hosts a political podcast, Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans. Scott, thank you again uh, so much for the time today. Let's start uh, with Joe Biden, the slip-ups, the clear evidence now of his, I guess, cognitive ability, as pointed out, in the uh, the report that uh, did not charge him with the documents, but clearly says he's got significant problems remembering dates, remembering things. Do you think this will have a significant impact on Democrats uh, possibly changing course here with a, with a new candidate? Well, that's a that's a tough question. First of all, I appreciate the walk up music, hot stuff. I mean, and then a lot of my just for you, usually. Scott, just yeah. for you. <laughs> But uh, I do think it's going to give people pause. I, you know, I had a, um, a a bet with about five people six months ago on Trump and Biden, whether they'd get elected, whether they could actually get the nominations, if one of them would fall off the screen. I think the problem for the Democrats is it's pretty late in the game. You know, their, their um, convention is in, I think, in late July or early August. So who, how does this jump up? And if it's a broker convention, it's going to be tough. I, I think this just confirms what a lot of us have thought. And look, I think most Americans can't believe that in a nation of 300 people, these are our two options. I mean, it's just crazy. And so I worry uh, I worry about both of them, right, in part because of Trump's instincts and the way he managed his first term in Congress. And I worry about this uh, in terms of Biden's ability to comprehend stuff. And I think the fact that he couldn't remember the offices, he w- the years of the office he was in uh, as vice president and couldn't remember his son's own death. I mean, that's that's really pretty frightening. So you wonder how he gets business done on a day-to-day basis and how much he's just being handled and managed. Scott, who gets to decide who is the nominee? Because Adam and I were talking about this. Like, why can't people tell President Biden, okay, it's not going to be you. It's going to be somebody else, Dean Phillips or whomever they pick. And we need you to pass the baton. Like, who gets to decide, you know, who's in charge? Well, who decides actually are the delegates, right? Because they control the votes. We're not very far uh, along in the primary season, although starting with Super Tuesday next month, um, a lot of the states will start to make decisions. It, so it's up to the delegates to vote. I think the question gets to be who <laughs> who leads the charge to try to turn that over in the convention and who's the candidate, right? So is it 
um, you know, the vice president as the preemptive uh, nominee? Does somebody else try to challenge from the outside? I, you know, I think Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, would be a much more serious candidate than Dean Phillips would, mm-hmm. uh, with all due respects to my Minnesota colleague and friend. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's up to the delegates, you know, and, and if you think back, uh, old guys that I am, and maybe your parents showed you this at one point, but the 68 Democratic Convention, mm-hmm was just chaos. And it's interesting, you know, the Republicans are involved in a civil war at this point. And I think the fact that Biden is the presumptive nominee has held off a Democratic civil war, which is coming, because it's going to come between the centrist, new Democrats, the old blue dogs, and essentially what are the progressives. And I think that's going to be a huge Democratic fight that will be every bit as bitter as the Republican fight is right now. Scott, so you said, I mean, is it too late in the game? I mean, is there anything that can happen between now, though, and the convention? And I think to Jordana's point, yes, delegates make the decision, but is there a group of Democrats, high-ranking Democrats behind the scenes that could possibly say and see the writing on the wall, see the polls in the swing states and saying, we're in trouble here, we need to change course? Could something happen before a convention and a brokered convention? It could, but in many ways it's unprecedented, right? Because there's never really been a challenge based on somebody's mental fitness, which is what this is. I, you know, I don't know who the first person is who raises his hand and essentially tries to pull off a palace coup. You know, it, you know, we've been talking and a couple of other times when I've been on your show, I meant the political middle in this country is so extraordinarily frustrated yes. and angry and bittered and yes. bewildered. And I just I talked to four swing voters in Erie County, Pennsylvania, which is the county that decides uh, the how Pennsylvania oftentimes goes. In fact, one of the guys I talked to, I was talking about how often candidates are in Erie. And he said, well, I can tell you the last time Trump ran on the day of the last election, he was sitting on the tarmac outside my window here because my offices are near the Erie airport. And all four of these people, one time Democrat, one time Republican, still sort of titular Republicans and Democrats, are just so, so frustrated. So I, I think that gets to be a really tough decision unless there's a far more dramatic moment. At one point, does Biden have a moment where he's live in the middle of a press conference? I don't mean where he's conducing the chancellors of Germany, but something where it's mm-hmm. just, he's, you know, my, my mom was in her early 80s. And when she began to have issues with her memory and sort of precursors of Alzheimer's, she'd have these moments where she just stared at you blankly. She couldn't even process what you're saying. I wonder if it takes a far more dramatic moment for that to happen. But it's, you know, the guy's 82 years old. It's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any easier. And then, you know, meanwhile, in fairness, because I like to beat up both sides, I mean, Trump has had some pretty bizarre moments lately where he can't keep, you know, Nikki Haley straight from Nancy Mm -hmm. Pelosi. So back to my earlier point, really, with 300 million people, how do we get these two people? And we've already had that. Mitch McConnell has had multiple episodes where he just stares off into space and freezes, and yet he's still in power. So well, it seems... But, but Jordana, that's an easier thing. That's just the Republican caucus in the Senate, which and the Democrats have the majority. So Republicans have, what, 49 or 48? Sorry, they don't have my political science numbers memorized. So the Republican delegation in the Senate could do it at some point. I think that's probably coming sooner rather than later because, you know, there's a sense that John Thune, who's from South Dakota, is ready to step in. John mm-hmm. Cornyn, who's a senator from Texas, sort of a common sense conservative, might do it. Um, you know, there's even some talk that Ted Cruz might try to do it, and I would prefer to vote for the other two, <laughs> my majority or minority later. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I, I think the McConnell uh, 
you know, uh, head of the Republican Party in the Senate is just sort of phasing down. I think he's even running out of gas. So I suspect that'll happen after the next election. Talking to Scott Klug, uh, hosts the podcast, uh, Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans, former Wisconsin congressman, Republican congressman, I should note, on the Republican side, because that's one, too, where it's, okay, Nikki Haley's still in the race. Uh, she lost to none of the above in Nevada a couple nights ago, and Trump uh, obviously winning that state. And people wondering why she's still in. It sure seems like Trump is the nominee. Is it an easier path for her? Is it, what do you think of her chances here? I mean, because a lot of people say she has zero chance. I don't think she's got much of a chance. I mean, you know, it starts with her own state of South Carolina coming up shortly and then goes through Super Tuesday. I, you know, what it could be is that she's running, so she'd be the presumptive nominee if Trump gets convicted of one of these crimes. And if the federal government says, excuse me, the Supreme Court says the president of the United States does not have, you know, power to forgive himself for any crimes he's convicted of. And then I think if Trump's convicted of a felony, what happens at the Republican convention? And if you look at the polling numbers, you can see that uh, a lot of people who say they'd vote for Trump today will take a step backwards if he's actually convicted of a crime. So I, I think that's, you know, that's very much in the game at this point. The question is how fast the Supreme Court rules on the um, ability to forgive yourself and and whether they'll stick with it and say the president's not above the law. And then if they say that, then the case over the um, missing confidential and secret documents will head to the courtroom pretty quickly. Talk to us about the immigration bill, because it did not pass, despite Republicans' willingness or, or confidence, albeit misplaced, that it would pass. What I'd like your, you know, your reaction to the fact that it did not pass. Baseball season is heating up. Odyssey has you covered with the most entertaining coverage of your team. Stay locked in and in the know with the local voices you trust as they bring you unfiltered takes, recap games, react to the latest team news, and talk to callers. Listen to your favorite shows for free on the Odyssey app, odyssey.com, your smart speaker, or in the car with Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. Well, uh, so he, here's my old-fashioned idea. You get elected to Congress because you want to do something, right? Yeah. And, in, yeah. and in some cases, well, yeah, and in some cases, it's not a bad idea if stuff doesn't go any work. I'm sort of a small government Republican, so I once got asked by a professor what my proudest bill was that I passed in Congress, and I said I'd rather talk about a lot of bills I stopped. But in this case, this is just raw politics. You know, if the the three of us head down and find three other people at a bar somewhere in St. Paul and, you know, in split fries and a juicy Lucy mm -hmm. says the Wisconsin guy. I mean, it's pretty clear. We can figure out what the immigration deal is, right? More security on the border mm -hmm. and a pass for the, uh, for mm -hmm. the dreamers. And if you look back, George W. Bush said the greatest failure of his presidency was his inability to get an immigration bill passed before he left office. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about 2006. So that's, a long time ago. And yes. in that case, it was actually Chuck Schumer who killed the deal in the Senate. So now we've got the Republicans in the House killing this deal and the Democrats in the Senate killing the other one historically. And it, for my mind, it's a pox on both your houses. I mean, you got elected to solve a problem. There's a crisis at the border. I understand Trump would just assume it has have it as an election issue, not mm -hmm. as a campaign issue, not actually getting public policy done. But again, back to what I said, you get 
paid to solve problems in this country. And the immigration issue has been a crisis for 22 years. I mean, what could be more paramount than getting that done? So uh, I'm not particularly happy with either party at this moment. And it shows you exactly the power that Trump yields over the Republicans there. I mean, James Lankford, Oklahoma senator, comes up with this deal. And Trump says, very bad move for him. And then he claims he didn't endorse him when he did endorse him. And it just shows you (laughs) how, like, I mean, you have to bow and you have to kiss the ring. Well, Trump's in a pretty powerful position because most Republicans, especially Republican House members, they wake up in the morning worrying about a primary challenge. And if Trump's behind a primary challenge, you're going to have a fight on your hands. But I always thought when I ran for office and I got elected that you actually should pick some issues that you're willing to lose an election over. So when I first got elected in the 90s, it was Desert Storm. I represented Madison. And and literally, usually when you get elected to Congress, you vote on, like, renaming courthouses for the first two weeks until you sort of wade yeah. into the water. Right. And in this case, literally, Desert Storm was, like, five days after I got elected. And I remember Newt Gingrich taking me for a walk in the back of the chamber and said, look, I know Madison. I know the history. If you want to take a walk on this one, you'll get the votes. And I said, dude, I'll guarantee you something that over my career, I'm going to do something you really don't like. But a matter of war and death and kids getting killed in battle, I mean, I've got to take a vote one way or the other. And if I lose because of this, I lose. And I voted for the military action in Desert Storm. And as you know, it was over pretty quickly and never was an issue in any of my campaigns. But if you're going to take a walk on going to war, not going to war, it just tells you how feckless many members of Congress are. And then, again, I think you get elected to do a job, and I'm not naive. People want to continue to serve, and they want to get reelected. But at some point, like Jim Langford, you just have to stand up for what's right and try to get something done. We're speaking with Scott Klug, former Wisconsin congressman who now does a podcast called Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans. Uh, Scott, I mean, there's there's much more to discuss, you know, the aid to Ukraine, the Tucker Carlson interview. But you, you just said, you know, people are Republicans are worried about getting primaried. And if you don't have the backing of Trump, you know, that's a real concern. Scott, what is it? Why is he so powerful and wields so much importance in this country. I don't get it. Well, I do get it. I mean, is that just the raw arithmetic tells you that about he's got a pretty hardcore base of about 40 percent of Republican primary voters. And then he's probably got another 25 percent of folks who are leaning that way for a whole series of reasons, part of which may be the issues with Biden or people's frustration with the economy. So um, I think it's 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 a small number, right? It's going to be the the same thing I'm telling you when the when the progressives and the sort of old fashioned liberals have a fight over the Democratic Party's future yep. when Joe Biden is gone. And it'll be the same way. I meant, you know, if it's it's you know, it's tough to buck a sitting president, um, no matter who it is. The, the problem, Jordana, is that the districts are wired and redistricted so precisely these days. There's very few competitive House seats. So in 2022, I loved it when ticket splitting erupted all over the country, right? New Hampshire, Maine, Vermont, Georgia, Wisconsin, Kansas, Nevada, Arizona. And so you'd see people elected. And, you know, for example, if you say Vermont, people are going to say Bernie Sanders is the most popular politician. Hardly. The incumbent Republican governor got elected for the fourth time with 74 percent of the vote. And I think that's a very healthy sign. But if you look at the House seats, this is people get confused when I say this, so I may have to say it more than one time. There are only, and I'm guessing at this, I think 18 House seats in the country, congressional districts, where the member 
who gets elected is of a different party than the president who carries that same congressional district. So there's very little ticket splitting on the House level. And that's part of the whole battle of redistricting, right? If you're a Republican congressman in upstate Wisconsin, uh, you're worried about losing in a primary if Trump's on the other side of it. And frankly, I would suspect if some Democrats um, get too out in front on this Biden issue about switching to another candidate, they have great political risks as well. Mm. So it's sort of the nature of the business. In the case with Trump, it's just because he's so outlandish. That's part of the problem. In the case with Biden, it's the fact we really don't know whether he's capable of doing the job anymore. Scott, we love our conversations. We're out of time, but we will have you on again. Thank you so much. Uh, Again, it's Scott Klug, former Wisconsin congressman. The podcast is Lost in the Middle, America's Political Orphans. Thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. Thanks much. You too. 1122 on News Talk 830 WCCO. Do we have time for your quiz now? Are you going to quiz me about something? No, I still don't get it, Adam. I still don't get, I still don't get why, like what policies are it, is it that people love about Trump? Like why do they think he was such a great president? Like why do they think he's the person that's going to save America? I guess I just don't understand why, because you know, he didn't do anything about immigration either when he had the chance. I, I just don't get it. And I'm really I'm, I'm really asking that question. What specifically is it that makes him so powerful in this country? Do you think it's a hatred of Democrats, a hatred of of liberalism? You think the hate is oh, stronger sure. than is, is that it? It's a rejection of it's a rejection okay. because. It's the same on the left. Why we we it, it, people on the left who cringe or recoil at uh, ultra conservative policies. The same happens on the right with ultra liberal policies that they recoil at. Which is why people who are kind of in the middle then are left to decide. And that and he's talking about you know the forty percent. So he's talking about forty percent of Republicans who will not change on Donald Trump no matter what. And other Republicans who behind the scenes say, yeah, I know Trump is crazy. I can't I, 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 I loathe him as a man, uh, including people who used to say that out loud and now suddenly are, you know, mm. beating the drum for him. They, they, they haven't changed their minds about him, but they can't lose that voting block. Otherwise, they've got no chance. And that's why it's and now we're beholden to that. Which is why, I mean, many of we can sit here and shake our heads saying, really? I mean, the Republicans can't do a, can't pick a better candidate, but they've got that 40% for whatever reason. And for some, it's based on, let's be honest with you, it's based on racism. It's based on, uh, but for many others, it's based on somebody who they feel is cleaning up a broken system. And I get it. I get that sentiment. But that is a lot. I mean, but he didn't clean it up. No, but they, they they say he didn't get a chance, and which is why they are all for a second Trump term um, where he's, I guess, unrestricted in picking his own people, and which also gives the other side great fear over what that means. Someone texted in, Trump was a great president, cheap oil, low inflation, more jobs, closed border, tough foreign policy, no catering to the woke. Um. More jobs. There's more jobs now. Than more jobs before. now. So that's there's more what? jobs now. He did not close the border. No. And gas is at two ninety five. So I don't. 
you know, and, and there's yeah. there's a global pandemic you know, was... had a lot to do with gas prices plummeting. So right. let's and, and that's what shut down supply chains. And now the recovery of those supply chains has led to inflation, which was global, by the way. Uh, mm-hmm. But you, it's it's irrefutable to argue that the U.S. economy has fared better than other uh, other advanced economies coming out of the pandemic. That's those are just facts. Those are factual numbers. However, that doesn't mean oh yeah, grocery prices have come down. Grocery prices are still high because of that, and that's a problem. And that's what people. I, I don't I don't blame anybody for voting with their pocketbook when it comes to that. But let's be serious about those numbers and what they actually mean. Baseball season is heating up. Odyssey has you covered with the most entertaining coverage of your team. Stay locked in and in the know with the local voices you trust as they bring you unfiltered takes, recap games, react to the latest team news, and talk to callers. Listen to your favorite shows for free on the Odyssey app, odyssey.com, your smart speaker, or in the car with Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. 